Hey there, sexy techies. Hey, everybody. Good to be out of isolation. <laughs> Aww. I, um, I had COVID again. Boo. <laughs> it's been like two years. Wasn't as bad this time, but it was still not fun. And uh, fortunately, nobody else got sick. Yeah. Thank God. But we're back just in time to record another podcast. Yes. COVID won't let you keep you down. Will not keep me down. <laughs> Except you definitely you you definitely are the man cold type of guy, which uh, no shame. I mean, a, a lot of guys I was so I was about like 95% sure that you were going to mention this man cold <laughs> thing, so I did a little research. Oh. Oh, wow. You just know me so well. <laughs> yeah, so the man cold or man flu might be a real thing. It might not just be men exaggerating their illness. Yeah. Um, I feel so, like we saw the same study, but please enlighten me. Yeah, well, actually, before we get into any of the studies, did you know that it, the Oxford English Dictionary actually added man flu to the dictionary oh, recently? Yeah, well, I mean, you got to recognize it. It's 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 true. It's there. It's real. So I think they define it as a cold or similar minor ailment as experienced by a man who is regarded as exaggerating the severity of the symptoms. <laughs> oh. But there have been some studies done. Um, I, I wouldn't say that they're conclusive, but... There's a couple of things uh, that I think everybody should be aware of. Uh, one is that there is a chance that vaccines produce a better antibody response in women than they do in men. Um, what the studies show is that testosterone may more testosterone may reduce the uh, antibody response mm. of a vaccine. So if we're talking about the actual flu, uh, mm. which people get vaccinated for, then men who have gotten the vaccine may have fewer antibodies than women. Uh, so naturally, they would have a worse response to the virus right. uh, than women. Yeah. But then there's another piece, um, which is when you actually get a virus, um, and this you know, could be true for the flu virus or any other virus, estrogen may help lessen the immune response from the actual virus itself, so causing milder symptoms for women who have generally have higher estrogen mm. levels. So you know, what, what would you like to say to, you know, on behalf of women, to me and uh, all the men out there about uh, this man cold or man flu thing? Well, no, I mean, I can't speak for all women, but I do know that sometimes during cold and flu season, when me and my friends, my mom friends get, all get together and all our husbands happen to just be really ailing <laughs> in bed, so sick. And well, I can't speak for all women, but I am there for you because I know that it hurts you to be Thank in bed. You. Well, and now you know why. I mean, yeah, we're just biologically inferior in this way. Our immune systems. Say that we, again. We just we're just not as robust but as you are. Your what? Your biology? What? Our immune inferior, systems. Inferior, I think, is what it, you said. I said it. Yeah. I mean, it's on record. <laughs> <laughs> This little banter kind of reminds me of, so episode three, I think this technically constitutes our podcast as a series now, right? Three episodes. The first one okay. is kind of like a test. I don't know. This is my theory. First one's kind of a test. Second one, maybe a fluke. I don't know. We we just tried it out again. Third one, you mean business. Like you have a schedule. You know what Every you're Wednesday. doing. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday exactly. that we can. So I like it. We have a series now. We have a little podcast series. And we've been getting some really great feedback. So it's it's really motivating to hear that from friends and family. Um, one of the funny pieces of feedback that I've heard is um, people kind of like our, our banter back and forth. They can definitely see that we've been a, a long-standing married couple. Why? <laughs> Why is that? Because I think our personalities 
are so polar opposite that they complement each other. <laughs> well, I don't, they, no one actually said that they're opposite, but like our personalities complement each other is what somebody had told me. And I agree with that because we have taken some personality assessments before. I love personality assessments. I tolerate personality assessments. Yes, I know your, your personality assessment um, results say that that's how you feel about them. But um, yeah, and so it made me think about personality testing. And did you know that it's like a $2 billion industry? I do now. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, I didn't before, but uh, it's big business. It's huge. There's like more than 2,000 kinds of personality assessments out there in the world, but really only there's there's a few that are research-based. But there's, there's a lot of great things that these personality assessments do <laughs> for businesses. So I'm seeing a lot of businesses, especially now. Yeah. 80% of Fortune 500 companies use personality tests. Wow. Right. So, you know, they companies have been using it for a while, whether it's for team building, whether it's to help in the hiring process, not necessarily determine who the candidate is that they hire, but it helps them to assess candidates sometimes. But now when they're looking at return to work return to the office policies let's say you know everything closed down during covid they want not to go off on a tangent but did you see that even zoom is requiring people to come back to work (laughs) in the office i did hear that like what the heck zoom (laughs) they're they're putting themselves out of business (laughs) seriously yeah but i mean it, it really kind of shows executives what motivates their employees whether it is heads down you know, working by yourself, no need for the, you know, extra holiday parties, socials, things like that. Or if they really like kind of, you know, natural meeting places in person that you can bump into somebody in the office. So I like personality assessments because they really help like eliminate any intrinsic biases that you have um, when you are like hiring basically like instead of just reviewing a resume seeing what their credentials are you know what their what college they went to things like that you can blindly assess somebody and see them for depending on what assessment you end up using seeing them for the strengths that they inherently have in order to see like if they will thrive in the environment and the responsibilities that you're looking to hire for. Um, so I know, like, have you heard of Scotiabank? No. Yeah. So Scotiabank, um, they actually stopped looking at resumes of recent college grads. So their entry level positions. Oh, okay. They stopped looking at them like altogether. Innovative. And yeah, and they have this new approach of bringing in more diverse candidates by utilizing um, professional personality assessments and other tools as well. It's not just based uh, strictly on that. But um, since they started doing that, their new employees um, who are black rose from 1% to 6%. And then over half of their new hires were women. So I think it's pretty cool. You know, like some people, again, just have these biases that they don't even necessarily know about. And when they see a resume, they already have this like gut reaction to it. Yeah, that makes sense. And definitely seeing that uh, the percentage of black candidates went up by 5% um, when they did that, that makes sense. But I did read that some of the assessments, there's some pushback against some of them for 
like exactly the opposite reason. Yeah, um, sure. I think I was, especially with Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs as an organization actually tells companies do not use this as a hire. You know, this is not right. intended to be used as a hiring instrument. They've actually pulled the license from some organizations that have used it um, as, as, a, well. as a instrument in the hiring process. And there's actually been some lawsuits against companies that have done so because it can unfairly discriminate against people. So I did want to mention, so there are, you know, again, like a couple of research-backed personality assessments out there, one of them being um, an assessment called PLUM. And um, it was co-founded by someone named Caitlin McGregor. And she attributes her initial zest for personality testing to an experiment that she conducted for a previous employer. So um, she there were about like 80 job applicants. She uh, narrowed it down to two, one who stood out on a resume and one who stood out on a psychometric assessment. She ended up hiring both. Her boss um, said that the cost of picking the wrong person was $300,000, and the applicant who outperformed on the psychometric test rose to the company's top ranks within a year and a half. Wow. So she was like, I, I believe in, you know, these psychometric tests. And so she, you know, kind of, I, I'm not too familiar with Plum, but I know that that's one of the research-backed ones. That oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of that one. Yeah. I was looking at the origin of, like, how personality assessments kind of started. So really, like, when they started creating hard personality assessments it happened to be like in World War One, the Woodworth personnel personal data sheet was created um, to screen soldiers who they might deem weaker in the field and susceptible to what was then called shell shock. I read that. That was really fascinating. Yeah, basically PTSD, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so and it's really funny when I'm looking at the origin of um, some of the personality assessments that, you know, I was looking into a lot of them stem from coming out of war or going into war. Like it had something to do with either World War One or World War Two. Wars have a way of <laughs> forcing countries to innovate, right? And do things a little differently. Oh. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I was also going to say wars also have a way of bringing out your natural tendencies um, in a split second. That's definitely true as of, well. In a time of high stress situation, what's going to eventually come out? So organizational psychologists um, initially found uh, the big five, and these are kind of characteristics that seem to be consistent personality traits that are found in most of the assessments. So um, the five are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And so a, a lot of these assessments kind of rank you on a scale of those five. So the five... Uh, there's four assessments that I just hear about all the time. I know there's so many more out there. And so I just feel like I'm not doing all these 2000 personality assessments justice by only highlighting four. But no, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's too many. Um, and th they have such little market share. Yeah. So the first one everybody kind of knows is, is Myers-Briggs. And that one was developed in World War II, war again. Um, and that was actually... Um, started by there was a, a woman and her daughter uh Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter Isabel Myers um they were very obsessed with Carl Jung and his teachings and philosophies uh, that they just kind of took that and developed their own personality inventory despite having no psychological training um and they started distributing in 1943 and it's based on 
personal observations by Young and um, created as another way to assign jobs in World War II for women who wanted to be involved in wow. the war workforce. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so some criticisms with Myers-Briggs is that it is very black and white. Again, so there's four categories. Um, I'm, I'm an ENFJ. I know that. Did you ever take it? Uh, yes. I don't know what I am. I would assume that you are all the opposite letters. <laughs> I, extroversion versus introversion. Okay. Yep. I think I'm an I, but like, that's, I, I agree. That's one of the problems with it. Like, you're just one or the other, but like, right. one I might be, you know, way to the, let's say, left, and one could be pretty close to center, but like just to the left of right. E, right? So, and you don't know that because it just spits out letters to right. you. And so the second uh, measure is, intuition versus perception so do you judge things based on the information that you collect or do you do it based on gut feeling and mine is mostly gut feeling I have a feeling that you love to collect (laughs) all the data and all the arguments I don't know what would make you think that but yes probably (laughs) Um, let me do some research and I'll get back to you (laughs) exactly exactly um f is feeling so it's um feeling versus sensing and that's also i'm probably not feeling (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i'm feeling okay okay and then the last one is j and p so judgers versus perceivers so judgers are judgers tend to be like organized and prepared they like to um like stick to plans perceivers um, are kind of they keep their options open and they like to act more spontaneously so what's really interesting and I know that you're looking at me being like you're a P and not a J (laughs) but um, so I took this originally and I was an ENFJ okay I took it again I was an ENFP I took it again I was an ENFJ so I believe that I am right on the cusp okay yeah and it's not so black and white for me in that realm. Well, and that's another criticism of these um, tests is that they uh, they assume that your personality is static um, and that it can't change over time, right? You know, who's to say that your personality can't change as you experience different things throughout life? That's true. But the argument to that is that it's not that your personality changes. It's that you are are you've learned how to be more adaptable to things which I know adaptability is a personality trait as well however it's the ease of adaptability um, comes more naturally to you the way that I I actually heard Myers-Briggs say that is that these are more tests of your predisposition so how you are naturally wired if you are going to work really hard to do something you can get it done it's like you know you are more predisposed to write with your right hand but if you like when push comes to shove if you really needed to write with your left hand you can try and you can work really hard to doing it uh, at doing it but you'll get tired and you'll want to you know write with your right hand that's the same thing like if you are naturally an introvert you can go out and network you can win people over you can be really great but it could take a lot out of you. And at the end of the day, you need to go home and, you know, get your be re-energized by, you know, having that time to yourself. But I, I see I see what you're saying with that. That does lead me then to the next assessment, which I really like. It's called the predictive index. And so the PI. The I've heard PI. you say that before. Oh, I love me some PI. Um, so this was in created in 1942. So Arnold Daniels 
um, was in in the war in the U.S. Army Air Corps. Um, he was shipped off to England, and he was placed as a flight navigator, and his team logged more than 30 missions, all without a single combat casualty. So when um, you know the commanders noted the team's record, they sent a psychologist out to work with Daniels, um, to study just what made their teamwork so successful. Yeah, wow. And so this what was is it? what, well, and so then he started learning more about um, psychometric testing and it became his passion. He was solving business problems through the lens of understanding individuals. They don't actually say like what the makeup of his team ended up being, but it started him thinking about what does it take to be successful in certain roles? And so in 1952, he released the first predictive index assessment. Um, and then in like three years later, he founded PI Worldwide, which is now called the predictive index. So that has been the subject of nearly 500 validation studies. So it's scientifically proven to be a measure of behavioral tendencies in the workplace. So what I like about this is that it still measures a lot of the four factors that are similar to Myers-Briggs, collaboration versus dominance, so how independent you are, introversion versus extroversion, so how extroverted you are, drive, it measures patience, so it's drive versus um, steady pace. Okay. So like how you like to work and then um, formality, which is like rule following. So um, with that, it spits out like an actual graph. So you can see where from the midpoint you fall if you really are super extrovert. So like my, I like that. Yeah. My my extroversion point is almost off the charts. And it's, you know, I I'm very animated. I like to talk with my hands, which I've been doing a lot right now um, and, you know, things like that. And. And it, it shows where you are. So you could be situational. I've taken that, right? Yes, you have. Where am I on the extroversion? Um, you are more reserved. But like how far? Um, it's moderately reserved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, you, you were close to the midpoint on that. But okay. what I thought was really funny is like we, we took it, you and I, and like our points are polar opposites of each other. They just kind of like zigzag. You know what they say? Yeah. What? Opposites attract, yes, right? They sure do. Okay, that's what I thought they said, but I thought you had something more clever. No, I mean that's all. I that's all I have. <laughs> but they they definitely do, and um and I just think it's it's really fun. like I I do think we balance each other really well, and understanding our PI helps me to understand like that we're just balancing each other. We're not like trying to butt heads. We're trying to just like get each other to understand. Sometimes I think you're just side. trying to butt heads though. <laughs> <laughs> is it like even once in a while I mean, sometimes i just like to get under your skin and <laughs> okay. be like, i know this is gonna piss them off <laughs> but i'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to me getting under their skin no 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 to uh oh. their spouse just trying to piss them off oh yes but like in a jovial way obviously mm. <laughs> so again i think this predictive index measures more of you know it really speaks to that criticism of it really depends on the scenario it depends how you're feeling when you take the test because it also spits out a a result of of what your PI is at the time that you took it like based on your situation so it, it spits out a, a graph of how you are naturally wired and then it also spits out a graph of like 
how you are based on your situation currently taking the assessment. But how does it, if you only take it once, how does it differentiate between your situation that one time and who you actually are? It's And it's a different way of that they ask questions. It's, well, I don't want to like give away too much because it's... No, I'm trying to game the no. system. <laughs> no, no, no. Next and, time and I take can't. it, I'm going to be super extroverted. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. Um, there, there is one more kind of... Uh, assessment that businesses use and it's called strengths finders have or it's actually no now it's called clifton strengths have you ever heard of it yeah yeah well i've heard of strengths finders yes okay so that one is also used in you know businesses where instead of kind of grading you on a scale of like extroversion introversion you know that instead of like the big five it had there's a list of 34 strengths that are identified and um, you basically take this assessment and it tells you what your top strengths are. And these strengths are all categorized into four categories, relationship building, influencing, strategic thinking, and executing. Okay. And just for shits and giggles, my top five are all in, well, four of them are in relationship building. One is in influencing. I have nothing in strategic thinking. And what was the other one? Executing. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well no, no. Those oh, are all man. Those are those man, are great. if you could see looks on a podcast. <laughs> uh, a little recording. <laughs> well, the, the reason, I, honestly, though, but like, so because I have to embrace all of the things about me, um, when I took this, I was, I was really like disappointed with my lack of, you know, execution and apparently brains, but Really, what that means is that, like, I'm able to influence and build relationships with people to be able to delegate the execution part of it because other people are just so much stronger and great at the ideas that I have. So you can execute at the delegation. Absolutely, portion. yeah, and that's how, and that's where I feel more comfortable. Hey, when push comes to shove, I'm sure my sixth strength is executing. Yeah, they just don't tell you that one, but I'm sure right. it is. Well, I, you have to pay a little bit more money oh, and then okay. they'll reveal all of yours. And so I, for for lack of being more disappointed, I did not pay to <laughs> to see the rest of mine because I just believe in my core that that's my sixth one. Okay. And so the last one that I wanted to talk about, it's super trendy right now like if you were to look up any of these personality assessments like on tiktok or instagram the first place i would go to look them up <laughs> i mean if you're if you're trying to just like learn more about yourself in <laughs> yeah. a snippet of a meme um enneagram enneagram is something that is like so so out there i mean there are some people like trying to build a brand off of clifton strengths or and the fact that they changed Boring. their name <laughs> But the fact that they even changed their name, it's like hard to find like influencers who talk about, you know, Clifton strengths. And, um, you know, there are some people that still like put their four letters for uh, Myers-Briggs. But Enneagram, it's just everywhere. Everyone is an Enneagram embracer. And so I took the test and I am a three. Actually, this is funny because you took the test, too. And this is the only personality assessment where we are the same. We are both threes. Actually, false. We are not the same because I'm a three wing two, which means 
which means nothing to our listeners. Or me. <laughs> or you. So a three is an achiever, but a three wing two, a two is a helper. So I'm an achiever plus a helper. I think you you are like kind of on the cusp of a three, which is an achiever as well, and a five, which is an investigator. Someone who I thought like, you told me I was a craftsman. A craftsman was with the PI. Oh, that was P- all right. Yeah. yeah, I get them all confused. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. That's why I'm here, hun. Thank don't, God for that. Don't worry. So what's we okay? So the enneagram did not start from war. It stemmed from Sufi teaching, which is fundamentally a method of spiritual transformation. So what I had noticed was a lot of the influencers that I saw posting about enneagram were very spiritual faith-based people mm-hmm. um and so i thought maybe the enneagram was a religion that i didn't know about or something but so it kind of stemmed from there <laughs> what have i gotten myself into <laughs> and, and then i had to sell my firstborn <laughs> <laughs> um but so so it stems from sufi teaching but then it's evolved <laughs> since then like oscar Ichazo also said that he kind of like took the enneagram teachings and um, the 108 enneatypes just came to him in a divine coma. What yeah, is a divine coma? I don't know. He said like an angel talked to him. I see. Like the the origin of the enneagram personality types is is you'll see many different versions. These are all the different ones that I'm trying to pull from and make sense of. It is the most like posted about personality. Like people talk about what their enneagrams are. There are so many. Well, that's just a cooler word to say. I guess. <laughs> I know. It took me a while to figure out how to spell it. They always do these parallels to pop culture. Like which um, Taylor Swift era is your enneagram? Mine's probably like reputation. or Mine's country whatever it is i don't know like, no, it's not which one you like to listen to no i'm it's just like, like what, an old soul what but okay yes yeah, yeah, yeah. no that, I was... that would be debut but okay i haven't spent so long yeah. come back taylor you know what my two biggest criticisms are of personality assessments that i love them so much okay three my three biggest personality <laughs> i mean my three biggest gripes what? with personality assessments what? one is i can never remember what i am as you've seen yes. because they're just kind of complicated like I, the letters like I, I i gotta remember all these letters and mm. like there's they just don't mean anything right like to oh, me they do okay well yeah but i gotta remember what all the letters are well, first that's why you to, have me okay but two is they're they're too positive like everything's positive i've heard this so what i i think so i was thinking like what could be a better you know what's the solution for this oh, right okay. all right so i've got it <laughs> dinosaurs what okay so everyone's a dinosaur right and i only came up with a couple examples of this but i think you're gonna love them all right so you got your t-rex okay okay your t-rex you're type a right you're gonna be you're a go-getter you're gonna be very extroverted probably gonna hit your goals and your quota um and you're not really afraid to like step on other people to get where you're going you can be kind of an asshole you thought of this yourself yeah i'm so proud of you keep going so you know that's your T Rex. Like that, your your okay. your weaknesses are you know you can mm-hmm. kind of be an asshole. Like mm-hmm. you gotta rein that in a little bit sometimes, mm-hmm. or you know you're really gonna hurt morale, um, and you probably won't last very long. You know people will team up against you. Yeah. So that's how they that's how they're gonna take you down. Right. That's what they did in Jurassic Park. Yeah. So then on the opposite side, you've got your Brontosaurus. Yes. Right. Oh. Which remember Littlefoot? Yes. Oh. So Littlefoot from the Land Before Time. Yeah. Um, which apparently. He's actually called an apatosaurus now. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. Yep. So if you're a brontosaurus, you stick your neck out for others, Aww. right? 
you are loyal, you tend to, but you tend to hang back. You maybe take the easy wins. You know, you don't go in for the kill. You take like the, the food that's just up there <laughs> hanging around. Um, but you let them change your name and you didn't even put up a fight, uh, right? Like They're dead. <laughs> yeah, but still. Like, no, but I mean, just saying that's the type of yeah. like person you are, yeah. right? Like, come on, you were Brontosaurus. Oh, like, right. n- next thing you know, they're going to go and tell me Pluto's not a planet. well okay yeah that's i'm so glad that you thought of these and i actually think that maybe businesses should do the dinosaur test instead of there's two thousand of them out there somebody already might there might already be a dinosaur (laughs) personality index that we just don't know about but this one came to me in a dream and (laughs) so i think maybe we should look into it i think so too yeah influencers will love it but either way this is a two billion dollar market in the u.s seven and a half billion dollars globally growing at 12 percent a year with social media i think you know this thing could take off especially if we inject some dinosaurs into it i think so yeah um yeah yeah. feel free to steal it (laughs) may or may not be terrible Okay, May, I thought we'd do a rundown of the state of name, image, and likeness, or NIL. Okay. All right. Have you heard of NIL? Like, do you know much about NIL? Something about college paying. Yeah, yeah. So basically, until June 2021, college athletes couldn't make money. Um, They they couldn't be paid, right? Right. Um, If they did, there were violations. Um, it It was against the rules of the NCAA okay with a Supreme Court case that uh, and a, a Supreme Court ruling that came in June 2021 the Supreme Court ruled that student athletes can profit uh, from their name image and likeness mm, okay. um, and yeah. so shortly sense. afterwards the NCAA I think starting July 2021 the NCAA changed their policy uh, that student athletes can profit from various uses of their name image and likeness they can do so in things like marketing campaigns, promotional materials, social media posts, um, events like sponsored events, all different sorts of ways that they can now make money um, off of themselves because they are an asset to their college or university. Their university is using them to make money, yeah. um, right, and attract people to the school. They're basically like a brand. Yeah, they're that, part of the brand. Yeah, okay. Um, they have a limited amount of time at that university. Most of them don't go on to play any sort of professional spor- sports where they're ever going to make money. So, you know, now they can make money at, while they're at school. Right. So it's a really interesting space with this NIL space. Uh, there's lots of opportunities for college athletes as well as startups um, in this space. Mm. So I just wanted to talk about a few of those things. First, um, just to set the stage. So, so far, 32 states have passed some form of regulation as it relates to name, image and likeness. Uh, so they basically as a way to restrict name, image and likeness in some way. So it's not uh, just a free for all. Right. So like uh, usually the states that have passed regulation prohibit student athletes from entering t- into deals for alcohol, tobacco, um, adult entertainment, gambling or controlled substances. OK, that makes instance. sense. Yeah. yeah OK. So they're not trying to be like jerks about it. Right. Um, they're okay. just trying to limit, make sure that these potential role models, right, right, uh, right. Who kids look up to are not out there peddling things that are, you know, just bad for people. Right. Basically. Right. I get that. So the way that this is interesting for startups is these athletes, you know, they go to college and they're like, OK, how am I going to make money off of myself? Or sometimes even before they go to college, right? They're in high school and maybe they're a top recruit or whatever. Um, 
you know, they need to start thinking like, all right, how do I get connected to the brands mm-hmm. that are going to pay me? That's a lot of work to do yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's these marketplaces out there. There's dozens of them mm-hmm. that have cropped up that exist to connect athletes to brands who want to use their name, image, and likeness. Mm, interesting. So okay. yeah, they're the go-between. They're the marketplace. On yeah. one side, you've got your athletes. On the other side, you've got your corporations and brands. So just a couple of the bigger ones. Um, one is Icon Source. They've raised over $6 million, uh, according to Crunchbase, as of March 2023. Another one is Mogul, M-O-G-L. They've raised $5.5 million. I feel like I've heard of them. You may have. I, I hadn't heard of any of the specific brands before starting this research. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's dozens of them out there. They're social media organizations, right? They're attracting these college students based on how much money they've raised, yeah. uh, who else they've signed mm-hmm. as far as brands and athletes mm-hmm. uh you know promises of what they can what they can do for these athletes um and they've got there's different business models for the different brands right some charge the brands a transaction fee for every uh connection that they make mm-hmm. uh, for like for every deal some charge the athlete a transaction fee some charge mm-hmm. both like 10 to 15 percent is pretty common for what i've seen some have a monthly subscription fee for the brands or the athletes for just using their platform so there's a bunch of different ways that they're monetizing mm-hmm. the, the platforms. It is a, uh, a huge space. Um, just in the first year, which was the 2021-2022 year. Okay, um, so it's so recent. Yeah, it just started. So yeah. it was already estimated at about a billion dollars wow. um, market size. So the other type of organization that is really interesting in this space are things called collectives. Okay. And these collectives are actually associated with a university. They are independent entities formed by donors or boosters that support a specific university. Uh, so they're, they're independent from the university, but they're for a specific university's right. athletes. Okay. And they're created to help athletes at their school secure NIL deals. Okay. So I'm a donor Let's say, um, you know, I want to support Georgetown. Uh-huh. I give a bunch of money to this collective because then yeah. basketball players who like maybe top ranked recruits are like, oh, they've got a, a collective with a lot of money. They're going to help me secure deals with Nike right. or whatever, right. you know, whatever the brand is uh, versus some other institution that I'm looking at. Maybe they don't have this same level of support for their their athletes and their collective. It is very interesting. Um, so, and essentially what they do is they provide like a centralized entity to help athletes handle all their business matters. They Mm -hmm. can help with negotiating contracts and partnerships. They can develop marketing strategies. They can navigate compliance issues because there's going to be more regulation and they need to know like what they can and can't sign on to Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's really great that they're there kind of to, to help these athletes I love the the business model of like helping them navigate like the business world of of these um collaborations and sponsorships that they're getting but there's that I don't know like classism aspect to it where you know the rich and the wealthy continue to um have the better things because of the resources that they're able to put so like into it. Classism in terms of like university. Right. Universities having different classes. Correct. Yeah. 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 Is that is that like a Yeah, I mean so one of the critiques of these collectives and I think their legality is still kind of being determined is like they're controversial because they can be accused of stealing recruits mm-hmm. uh from from one you know university just because maybe you might be able to help an athlete make more money because you 
because your collective has more money to, you know, at its right. disposal. Right. Um, so, I mean, but it definitely gives an advantage to the schools that already have, you know, big donor bases. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So some of these athletes have made a lot of money already. The average NCAA Division One athlete averaged about $3,700 in the first year of NIL. Okay. So the average was not life-changing kind of money, right. right? It was just, you know, some extra money to help pay for books, books and meals and things like that, yeah. you know, while you're at college. But some of the top earners made way more money than that. I just want to highlight a few of them. Most of the top 10 earners mm-hmm. are college football players. Okay. College football is the biggest moneymaker for sports. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't surprising to read that. I think it was like seven of them came from the college football world. I'm, I would be curious, like, which conference also, because there's, like, certain conferences that are more wealthier and, and more prominent. visible. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and, and the conferences are blowing up this year, too, for yeah. football, like, all the change. But so number one was actually not a football player. Uh, number one is Bronny James. He is the <laughs> son of LeBron James. I don't know if you could tell. I, know, I was like, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't even started playing basketball yet. Uh, I also don't How know if you he? knew he was going to be a basketball player. <laughs> um, Shocker. He's, I think he's 18. He's, oh, okay. He's, I thought he was like five. <laughs> no, no, no. So he's entering college this fall at USC. He was the 40th ranked player out of high school. So, you know, he's definitely elite, but, you know, he's not the... Top. He's not the be- highest ranked player, so right. it's it's clearly not because of you know that he clearly has the name, um, and brands are going to pay for access to that name. So his I don't know how they calculate nil valuation, um, but his valuation is seven and a half million dollars. Um, oh that reminds me of like when Michael Jordan's son came to my high school, and everyone's like, oh, he's going to be so great at basketball. Like our basketball team is going to be amazing, and um, he like played one on one with like our top basketball player. I mean, granted, there was that age difference, and our top basketball player was was really amazing, but um, he just like fell flat basically, and we we're all like, oh, was that Colin Falls? <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, yeah, Colin, yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, that, there's a difference between going into high school and going into college, True, though. Like right. he's he's already played against top tier competition. Yeah. yeah, like you you know you at least know somewhat of what you're what you're gonna get. Like yeah. not not for certain, but right. like I don't think he's gonna go out there and like not be able to shoot a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that that's what actually happened. But can you like his valuation in everyone's minds was like. Yeah, no, the expectations are yeah. super high, yeah. right? But I mean, he's already got his own underwear line. Oh he's, my god! He's just right now, he is a summer, you know, summer going. He's he's basically a high school student. Yeah, <laughs> with his own underwear line, man. So number three on the list, staying on trend here, Arch Manning. Um, Peyton. Okay. Eli. Mm. Uh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think he's actually Cooper Manning's son, who is uh, one of the brothers. Okay, but um. So he is like the lost third property brother. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Is there really a third property brother? (laughs) So Arch Manning is the nephew of Peyton and Eli. He has an NIL valuation of three and a half million dollars, apparently. He's he's also going to be starting college this year at Texas. Okay. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Um, He is a quarterback. Well, I mean, it's in his genes. I guess. He doesn't have to be great. I mean, look at Eli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you like, there. I mean, he could be good at acting like like his uncles. And <laughs> that's another. <laughs> Eli was a good quarterback. Obviously good enough to win two Super Bowls on sure. flukes. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what a Patriots fan would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are the first two I wanted to highlight. 
but there's one more that I think is even more exciting. Okay. So those two, Bronny James and Arch Manning, have their NIL valuations based on expectations and their name, right? Of course. Yeah. <clears throat> if, their if, blood. Yeah, exactly. But the the third one I wanted to talk about, she is number six on the list. Hmm. Her name is Olivia Dunn. Do you know who Dunn. Olivia Dunn is? Um, um, Dunn? Dunn. D-U-N-N-E. I'm trying to think like, who, oh. I'm trying to think like who she could be related to. No, no, she's not related to anybody. Oh, oh, she's just talented well, I mean, on her I'm own. I'm sure she has relatives, but <laughs> she's not related to anybody famous that I know of. So Olivia Dunn is a gymnast at LSU. I okay. think she's a junior or going to be a senior or something like that. Okay. Um, she has an estimated $3 million or so NIL valuation. I'm looking her up. She is the most followed college athlete. On social media? Yes. Or like physically followed by a crowd. That too, actually. (laughs) Really? So, all right. So I wasn't even going to go there. But so on social media, she has 4.3 million Instagram followers, 7.7 million TikTok followers. And this is where our algorithms diverge, apparently, because I have been fed Olivia Dunn in my Instagram. (laughs) I don't make the algorithm. (laughs) What are you searching? (laughs) That's not the way it works. (laughs) Anyway, I don't get Enneagram stuff and, you know, whatever else you get. I get Olivia Dunn in my feed. And so, you. thank you. So, you know, she she's not up there because of the expectations, right? She's up there because she's a talented athlete. Um, and she can arch her back she really far. Is, yes, she's attractive. And she knows how to do social media, right? Like she gets on there. She does these posts, a lot of them. Uh, and yeah, I can see. people love her so when i said most followed it is actually kind of scary the number of college boys college men Mm -hmm. uh that follow her around like i think she legitimately has to fear for her safety i read an article recently that she can't even go to class in person anymore because she's afraid for her safety really yeah yeah that sucks like to not be able to go to class and fear for your life i mean i can't you know, I'll never be famous enough to know what that's like, but... Yeah, but remember when uh, you were on the dance team? In 2007, we made the Final Four, and there was that, like, <laughs> oh. bracket of, um, like, cheerleaders and dance team members at the different schools, yes. and you were the Georgetown representative <laughs> in the bracket, and um, you made it pretty far, and I remember, I remember, you know, one of the uh, comments was, I like the ethnic-looking Hoya chick. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was the ethnic looking. Did that scare you? <laughs> Sounds a little scary to me. No, because they weren't following me to class. <laughs> you never know. It was some rando on on the internet. But <laughs> you probably went to Syracuse. <laughs> oh, the orange. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that was on Deadspin. Oh, Deadspin. Yeah. Well, that is crazy to me that she's up there. She knows how to do social media. She can work it. Like that's. I mean, that's that's actually a skill that I feel like this coming generation is really leveraging for as as income and i think that's brilliant yeah and i think that's one of the things that these collectives should be able to help um these athletes with is you know maybe social media training for people who don't Mm. have the natural Mm -hmm. ability that olivia dunn has yeah for sure um so just looking at the future of nil um you know for a long time all of its history, basically, uh, the NCAA fought against paying college athletes, right? Yeah. Now they're being forced to allow it, um, but they're, they want some, some guardrails on the process. So they want legislation to make sure it's a level playing field. 
Uh, as I mentioned, 32 states have some sort of restrictions, some more than others. Some have no restrictions. Some of the universities in certain states feel like, you know, the restrictions in their states are, you know, maybe more so than, than yeah. some of the other states. Yeah. They yeah. just want to be treated fairly, right? So that, right. you know, they're all on a level playing field, which makes like sense. A little bit more like uniformed. Yeah. And, you know, nobody wants to violate a rule that they didn't really understand so right. like the, you know like the ncaa is pushing for federal legislation mm-hmm. on this so that it's not up to every state to police it differently mm-hmm. and you know i think that makes sense uh there should be i mean the ncaa is a the governing body of college athletics right. in all the states so like right. the, yeah. the policies should be streamlined yeah exactly yeah that's good it's just it's so new that i'm sure there's still a lot of kinks to iron yeah out. Uh, it's brand new um you know they'll get there i think overall it's great you know athletes are making money um yeah. i know because for a while athletes are feeling very like exploited yeah definitely these universities make millions and millions of dollars yeah. um off of the athletes right. and until two years ago the athletes didn't see any of that unless i mean they didn't see any of it from the the university the only way they saw any of it is if they were uh fortunate enough and talented enough to play professional sports and depending on which sport they play there may or may not be a lot of money in professional athletics for that sport so it's great to see athletes in sports that don't traditionally make a ton of money when you go pro be able to earn an income that's that's you know gonna set them up pretty well okay now let's talk about our hot mom of the week we still don't have sound effects for that. Pew, pew. <laughs> We're a series now, and we don't have sound effects for our Hot Mom of the Week. I, uh, I can look for some. Okay. I'll come back with some suggestions or throw some my way. So uh, we were talking about the Enneagram and h- just how trendy it is right now. You know, how, how much these influencers really latch on to identifying with an Enneagram and, you know, posting memes and it, tying it to a lot of, like, pop culture references. So um, the person that stood out to me, her handle is Enneagram Ashton. She is, she definitely has more of an Instagram following versus TikTok. I think she's very new to the TikTok scene. She started her Instagram in 2019. So she's pretty new, but she already has 600,000 followers. Um, Because what she posts is like so on brand with, you know, the pop culture scene. She, she's the one that does like the cute little infographics on you know like understanding your enneagram is it like funny or like how how does she get six hundred thousand people to follow her um they're just informative and they're very relatable so she's an author a public speaker and she's a community psychologist um, and a certified enneagram educator her goal in life is to see relationships strengthened um And that's why she kind of started her social media presence. Early on in life, uh, she was working in the domestic violence and sexual assault prevention field. Um, She knew like at an early age, she's an Enneagram too. So she's a helper. So she always knew that she wanted Uh. to help people. (laughs) Yes. and, you know, she went to get her master's degree in psychology and um, she discovered the Enneagram that way. And she kind of just built her brand um, off of it. She actually gained a lot of followers recently, she said, when she kind of uh, posted more personal things, like started showing her face more and like letting people into her life with her new baby and things like that. So she became she her brand turned more from just being this Enneagram teacher to a human that people could also relate to. So Hmm. um, she's hot. She's trending. 
Um, she knows how to work social media. So she is our hot mom of the week. Go Ashton. Yeah, follow her on Instagram, Enneagram Ashton. Well, that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscribe button. And reach out on social media. Dot coms. And hot moms. Signing off. Signing off.